Growth Igniters Radio, Episode 10, The Secrets of Creating an Environment for Innovation. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of growth. On the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And with me is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Pam. How are you today? I'm great. That's terrific. It's really wonderful to be here with you today and like to remind our first-time listeners that the purpose of Growth Igniters Radio is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for leaders to take themselves and their companies to the next level of success. And you know, Pam, part of success is something that people talk about a lot, but don't always agree on. And that's innovation. We need to increase innovation. One of the things we've been hit with over and over and over when we're talking to people and listening to people is that there's actually a heck of a lot of disagreement about how to harvest the full power of innovation to get to the next level of company growth. It can be confusing. And I think on top of that, capitalizing on that innovation on an ongoing basis is another area altogether. Well, that's true. So that's why I'm really happy today that we're going to be talking with Arthur Fox. Arthur is a friend and former colleague of mine. We were in Warner Lambert and Pfizer and Johnson Johnson together. Now he's founder and chief innovation leader of the Innovation Global Network. You know, if you've ever used uh, healthcare products like Listerine, any color, really, mm -hmm. uh, except the gold. Arthur wasn't around <laughs> 125 years ago. Arthur has been uh, touching all those things that uh, you use on an everyday basis. So we're going to dig into how leaders of companies of all sizes can create an environment that fosters the highest level of innovation inside and outside your company. Mm -hmm. Arthur was one of the key forces behind the virtual explosion of innovation in our companies and has taken his passion for innovation out to the world to create a virtual community of innovation for companies all over globally. Arthur, welcome to Growth Igniters Radio. Thank you, uh, Pam and Scott, uh, for having me and giving me a chance to talk with you and your uh, listeners. That's terrific. Arthur, you've been up close and personal to innovation of all kinds and many different types of companies for years and years. One of the things that we have run across frequently is a fundamental disagreement about what innovation really means. Uh, this morning, I did a Google search on innovation. I got about 414 million hits. And uh, you find all kinds of opinions about innovation. So, What's your definition of innovation? It's true that innovation uh, is, is used very loosely and it, it's, it's uh, been watered down to some extent. Uh, but to me, innovation is about creating commercial opportunities or meaningful changes within organizations or, and how they do things. Okay. So can you tell a story about how uh, you've been engaged in really helping take innovation up to a new level and, and what it's taken to do that? Well, as you mentioned before, you and I worked at, uh, at Warner Lambert. I, I was uh, focused on marketing research there. Uh, at one point, I was the head of market research for the uh, oral care uh, product category. 
I had been there about 10 years at that point doing market research on all sorts of uh, new product initiatives and other initiatives. But I made the comment to the head of the uh, product category that the company was very poor at developing uh, new products and it was due to lack of best practices and processes and a lack of uh, an innovation culture. The, uh, the simple truth is that pe when people were being asked to go out and develop new products on their brands, they really didn't know how to do it. They weren't trained how to do it in business school and uh, the company lacked best practices and processes to give to these people and to train these people on how to do it. So when they got the assignment, they just floundered. So it was really people acting sort of in a vacuum, each one in their own little bubble. That's right. They acted in a vacuum. And because of that, they relied on their own idiosyncratic uh, habits and personalities, as opposed to relying on best practices and processes on how to develop innovation. Uh, I was told at that time that I was correct, and I was asked to develop the best practices and processes that they uh, can give to their people to, uh, to kickstart uh, innovation. Uh, and I put together a team at that time of uh, people from different parts of the organization, including R&D and manufacturing and regulatory, and we studied everything that existed at the time on innovation and new product development to put together a set of recommendations which became the strategic framework for developing new products for within the product category. Arthur, the the trick, as you've seen and, and I've seen uh, in the companies we were in together and separately, is that those best practices make a lot of sense, but it's not always easy to really bring them to full life. And one of the obstacles that we've seen together has been a tremendous lack of trust of those people. Oh, the, those people are going to do this, or those people will never support that. Of course, to them, we're those people. So <laughs> the scientists, how, the right? scientists, yeah, we're those <laughs> people to the marketers, and the marketers right. were the, those people to the scientists and engineers. So to change this, it really has to come from the top because the values that bring that kind of interaction and bring those practices to life have to be part of what people are really encouraged for and they set an example for that kind of action is that how you see it as well well it's true uh, leadership must demonstrate through their actions that they are serious about innovation uh, and that they're open to change and to the ideas and input that's provided to them by their employees. Or, the, or they, the people just simply won't bubble up their ideas to those people. Mm -hmm. Arthur, to what extent do you see assumptions uh, about innovation or what everybody's trying to do uh, get in, into this whole process of innovation? So that kind of uneven understanding of what innovation right. is, uh, a... a uh, manager or president or CEO may say, go out and innovate, and they mean one thing, and the people in the company mean something because I'll, else. I'll, I'll tell you, my background is uh, dealing with a lot of the smaller companies, the middle market companies, and so often I hear people saying, well, I know what innovation is, and actually they don't they aren't even talking to each other about it. Half the time I, I uncover these things, and they're not even speaking the same language. Is this something that happens just in the smaller companies or does it happen in the larger companies too? Oh, it definitely happens in the larger companies. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we, we created a strategic framework for developing new products. Uh, and every year we would revisit that and revise it and modify it and make it better. And one of the things we learned uh, through that process is that there needs to be clarity as to uh, what the what the focus is, 
for innovation because organizations usually have st- key strategic priorities mm-hmm. and they are looking for innovation with against those priorities. They're less accepting of innovation that falls outside of those priorities. And so uh, that needs to be made clear, clear. The other thing needs to be made clear is some criteria for those ideas uh, to be accepted that are brought to the leadership team. Otherwise, people spend a lot of time focused against ideas which don't will never meet the criteria that the leadership may have in their heads, but they haven't verbalized to the, to the people. And that, that creates a lot of wasted time and it creates a lot of frustration on the, in the people below. So the key is, it sounds like, in fostering that environment, you really have to be so clear at every level of the organization about what uh, innovation means, about the criteria for that innovation, and drive it throughout the organization so people can really take action that's meaningful. That's right. And people become uh, more motivated and encouraged to actually come up with ideas if they understand what the company is looking for and really believe this is what the company is looking for. Because they, they believe that if they do this, there's a real good chance that the, uh, the company will take them seriously and their ideas uh, may actually come to fruition. And that's very, very motivating and empowering to people. Well, on that empowering and motivating note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how to overcome the obstacles that are involved in building an innovation environment. Stay with us. You're listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated on the web at businessadvance.com. If you subscribe to the Growth Igniters community by click the Join Our Community button in growthignitersradio.com, we'll be able to send you weekly updates to help you get more value from each episode. They'll give you easy access to each episode's play button, show notes, guest bios, and links to resources mentioned in the episode. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. We're talking with Arthur Fox, founder and chief innovation leader of the Innovation Global Network, about how important it is for leaders to build an environment that fosters true engagement throughout the organization so that your company can realize its full innovation potential. Arthur, how can people reach you? Well, they can reach me in several ways. People can send me email at afox at innovationglobalnetwork.com. They can uh, call me at 973-953-5036. And if they join the Innovation Global Network, they can send me messages through the network. And we want to remind people that this is Eastern time that Arthur's talking about because we know our listeners are all over the world. Arthur, we know that it's important, but as we were starting to say in the last segment, there can also be some resistance to innovation, especially if it's been part of what made the company successful in the first place. The question is, what can you do to make sure that this environment is a reality and not just a dream? Well, you're right. The resistance can show up in, in, from many sources and in many ways and in many forms. The leadership team, as I mentioned earlier, does need to demonstrate that it is open. Of course, they need to make it clear what they are open to. Uh, and then if, if people present them with ideas in that area, they, they have to listen and they have to uh, treat the, those ideas with respect. And if they turn them down, they need to explain 
why they've, they've turned them down. Also, barriers can be, be put up within silos within the organization. Uh, those silos need to be broken down. Uh, leadership team needs to encourage people to work together and, and be supportive of each other and show them that this is a, a value uh, of the organization and it's expected of, of, the, uh, of their people to do that. Uh, people are naturally competitive in organizations, but the, org the leadership needs to, teams needs to say, that's okay, be competitive, but you, know, you also need to be open and supportive of each other within the organization. I think that that's a truly important point, Arthur. And silos are something that we have dealt with over and over over the years. And it's kind of ironic because on one hand, leaders and people in the organization say we hate silos, and yet they exist for a reason. They, they don't just pop up for no reason. And usually, it's because, as you say, there's there's competition and there's also incentives to be focused, siloed. You know, this is my job. I'm going to do my job to heck with you. And Pam, you've seen organizations where people have actually been uh, really disincented from breaking down silos when they were told to do it in the first place. Well, that's true. It can be something where people don't even realize they're doing that. Simple things like uh, stories about who the uh, real heroes are in the company because this one is fostering this particular product, but not that product, you know? So in fact, it, it brings a question to mind. Sometimes companies can be developing many different products or services at the same time. And in fact, I guess it's usual. And do you find that there's an optimal number that uh, companies uh, should develop, or how do you deal or with that? Or a level of, of support. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the number of uh, initiatives that sh uh, should be supportive usually is, is, has to be consistent with the resources that the organization has. Uh, and, and, and organizations uh, do, good organizations spend time identifying how many initiatives that uh, they should spend on. So, uh, for example, uh, when we were working on Listerine, uh, initially, when I first took on the responsibility for heading up the oral care new products team, it was identified at that time that the company only had enough R&D resources to support one oral care initiative at that time. Now, having realized that, the organization then said, okay, we really do want to support more. Let's put together a place programs to free up resources so we can handle multiple initiatives at one time. Okay. And of course, that causes a ripple effect throughout the parts of the organization that are having the resources cut. So it's really important for the leadership to balance the the fallout and find ways to not cut off their nose despite their face, so to speak. That's right. Uh, by tackling this in a, in a, in a very uh, uh, deliberate manner, companies can... Uh, expedite, accelerate the, the amount of innovation that occurs by making sure that they don't take on too much versus the resources, but also potentially uh, uh, you know, freeing up additional resources if they're not satisfied with the level of innovation. Because uh, they may decide that it's not enough to support their growth initiatives. And so they, you know, they really do need to go and free up those resources. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that goes into uh, one of the issues, I would think, at times uh, as to why trust builds or it doesn't. Because if I'm on one team and you're on the other and we're competing for those resources, 
it doesn't matter if we say we're all on the same team, if we're actually pitted against each other, I would think. That's true. Different groups do compete for, for resources. Uh, and, and again, that, that, that does create that type of uh, silo behavior and the, that, uh, you, know, you know, how can we you know, make sure the resources come to us versus them type of behavior. Again, some of that can be healthy if it uh, if it uh, stimulates people to, uh, to 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 do constructive things to get those resources, come up with better ideas, bigger, better ideas, uh, more strategic ideas. But if it's a matter of of saying, well, we won't help those people, and you know, we and, and we have technologies or we have uh, insights that could help those other groups, but we're not going to provide them, then that un- starts undermining the organization. And that's why it's so important, again, for leaders to really, really be crystal clear about how those uh, decisions are made, about uh, why things are prioritized the way they are, because the more people understand it, that this is healthy for the company, and we're, you know, you're part of the company, and so if the company does better, we can all do better. That clarity is so important. And it's also important to spread the wealth when things do go well and make sure that things that might have been tabled that have good potential can come back into full steam again. That's right. I recall when I was uh, head of uh, global market research for uh, Pfizer Consumer Healthcare that I was told by uh, the uh, people working out in our our, uh, regions, our international regions, that uh, they were instructed not to cooperate so much with the with the global group because you know their time should be spent supporting the regions, right? They had their 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 own objectives. I said so, you know you know you know only do the minimum uh, that you have to do to support the the global group. Well, that again undermines the uh, the best interests of the organization. So how did you get past that? The way we got past that is to involve the regions in the uh, in the global decisions. Uh, coming to agreement on what programs should be supported that would uh, not would uh, best benefit them, including them in the decision making and the alignment process. Once they, they once they 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 are aligned to a project, they become much more supportive of it. So going from an us and them mentality to a we are us mentality. That's correct. And That's really right. reinforcing and and uh, rewarding the collaborative behavior by engaging and creating that community. That's right. It, 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 it results in, in smarter products being developed uh, and, and for, for better, more informed reasons. Even the global group benefits because they get input from the regions and get, they get insights that they may not have had uh, prior to that. So everyone becomes smarter, everyone becomes better, and everyone becomes more committed to the projects and decisions that are made going forward. This idea of we are us, and and we are all doing this together and in this together, and we we sh- we need to act together with respect and with with a mutual best interest, and actually living that that those values makes a huge difference to the success of innovation initiatives within organizations. 
Okay, so that we are us mentality and doing everything you can to reinforce that is another secret that people don't really think about as much when they are creating that environment for innovation. So important. Well, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Arthur Fox, founder and chief innovation leader of the Innovation Global Network about actions you can take starting today that will create a highly innovative environment in your own company. Stay with us. You're listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful companies to accelerate to their next level of innovation and growth. If you like what you're hearing, spread the good word. Go to growthignitersradio.com, select episode 10, and use the share links for iTunes, Stitcher, LinkedIn, and Twitter at the top right of the page to tell your social media communities all about us. Use hashtag GrowthIgniters. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, we've been talking with Arthur Fox, founder and chief innovation leader of the Innovation Global Network, about creating an environment of innovation in companies of every size. But before we do, Arthur, how can people find you? Uh, Again, people can find me uh, by uh, sending me email at uh, afox at innovationglobalnetwork.com. You can, if you join the Innovation Global Network at uh, innovationglobalnetwork.com, you can send me messages through the network. Uh, and, of course, you can always call me at 973-953-5036. Okay. One of the things that we've been talking about is that innovation is highly individual to each and every company. And clearly, there's no silver bullet that changes a company into an innovation giant. And yet, we've been talking about all the things that can be done. Let's take a more specific focus. Well, the one thing you can do is, uh, is do a, a check to see if, uh, if, if, if everyone in the organization truly understands what the strategic vision, goals, and objectives, and the challenges and issues are within the organization. Often... These are understood by the only at the people at the top. The people further down often it doesn't get filtered down to. People think they, they, they it's it's filtered down to them, but the reality is that it is not. Also, sometimes these these goals and objectives become distorted on the way down. Uh, people hear what hear what they they are, but it, it's a it's a different iteration of what they really are. Uh, and so the people down below think they understand. And the people above think they understand, but they don't really understand. You know, that happens so much. I'm reminded of the old game telephone, where you whisper something in somebody's ear and you ask them to whisper to the next person, next person. I've even tried this with groups. And I'll tell you that people can oftentimes distort the message, even when they're trying to keep it straight. So your point is so well taken. Absolutely. And so, Arthur, how can people keep the purity of that message going, how can leaders create that unity and that understanding so that people have that touch point and that it's not distorted? Uh, One of the best ways of doing that is to have the middle management participate in the creation of the the, the goals and the objectives of the organization, uh, both create and, and to align to them. And as part of that process, 
uh, draw input from the lower levels of the organization as well, uh, so that the, these, these goals and objectives are truly grounded in the, in the insights of the people who are closest to the consumers and the customers and the day-to-day -day operations of the organization. In doing that, the people on the lower levels become involved in the process as well. And when they learn later what the results are, they, they feel they participated and they're better able to support the decisions that are made. But it is, of course, important to, at, when these, these goals and decisions are aligned to officially that they, they, again, be communicated down through the organization, level by level by level, until everyone understands them. And it probably would be a good idea to get a, do a feedback process uh, at some point by doing a survey to uh, have people play back what they understand or those, uh, those, uh, the vision and objectives and see if they, uh, they play them back correctly or not. That's a good point because, as we've heard many times, sending out messages is not communication. Communication is making sure that what you're sending out is actually perceived the way you intend. And for those companies that don't have as many layers to them, what's interesting is that there's still that possibility for distortion, even in a smaller company, where, say, there's one level of, of management between the CEO and uh, the front line. I've seen how easy it is for those messages to be distorted. So you may not have to do a survey, but you can get some kind of feedback mechanism to make sure that everybody's communicating on the same level. That's true, because people listen, but they listen through the filters of their own perceptions and their own uh, past ideas. And they can hear something and change it significantly with their own minds what they actually heard, particularly if they have their own ingoing ideas of the way things should be done or what they really think should be done. And, uh, and, and so they, they, they kind of refit the, the, what they're hearing to, to fit those perceptions. So your own biases really impact uh, what you actually hear. Absolutely. And uh, we've seen uh, in small companies especially, well, we're small, everybody knows what our priorities are, and so they don't even bother to communicate them because everybody knows. And uh, wrong. And in the larger companies, a department, I've found, will just say, we're, you know, this is our priority. We don't necessarily need to tell you what our priorities are. And, of course, everything you're telling us is wrong, <laughs> which we agree. Right. You know, that's the right. Other thing that, the other thing that happens is when you have a very strong management team, uh, the management team often are the ones who put, you know, create the objectives and the goals uh, because they feel they're the closest to the consumer, the customer. They know the market. They know what the they believe what the what the company needs to achieve. So they they create the, those goals and objectives. Sometimes they do it pretty much on an ad hoc basis without even doing it on a, in a formal manner. But what happens when that in those situations is that the people below them realize that they are not part of that process. And so they just wait to be to do what they're told, right? So, so that that's true. So that including people and in participating, and so that everybody has a say and input, although obviously somebody at the top is making that decision, it, it creates more that's, engagement. Right. That's correct. So Arthur, yeah, our time is really going by quickly. Any last thoughts that uh, you'd like to share with us? 
as I mentioned earlier, there, there really are two keys. One is, is, is what we spend most of our time on, which is focused on the, the, the communication piece, the clarity of communication uh, downwards through the organization and the inclusion of the organization in, in, in the goals and the objectives and the plans within the organization. But the second piece uh, is, is the need to create a mechanism by which uh, the employees are motivated uh, to, uh, to create change and to, facil to facilitate their capabilities to do so. Uh, they need to create a, 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 it's important to create a supportive environment within the organization uh, to uh, make clear to people how they can get required resources, uh, what the criteria is for getting those resources, and for uh, setting expectations with the employees that they expect them to be innovative and creative and they are open to those ideas and will treat those ideas with respect. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And for those of you who are listening and have questions related to today's episode or any episode, go to open a conversation with us at the bottom of this episode page. To find out who our guest will be next Wednesday, go to growthignitersradio.com and look in the sidebar for a schedule of upcoming episodes over the next few weeks. Thanks for listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. To check out resources related to today's conversation, share on social media, and subscribe to the podcast series on iTunes or Stitcher, go to growthignitersradio.com and select episode 10. Until next time, this is Pam Harper and Scott Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to discuss with your team. What can you do? to create a stronger community of innovation in your company. Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio are service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniters Radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated, intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses, including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated, are prohibited. All rights reserved.